Chapter Twenty Seven of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Seven. Flossy's Party. Marion, on her way from school, had stopped in to learn, if she could, what shadow had fallen over Ruth. But before anything like confidence had been reached, Flossy Shipley came, full of life and eagerness. I am so glad to find two of you together she said. It expedites matters so much. Who do you think can be going to give a party next? A party, said Marion. I am sure I don't know. I am prepared for any sort of news on that subject. One would think there had been a party famine for years, and lost time was to be made up, to see the manner in which one entertainment crowds after another, since the meetings closed. It is a mercy that I am never invited, it would take all my leisure and a great deal of note-paper to prepare regrets. Who is it? I haven't the least idea that you could guess, so I am going to tell you. It's just myself. Both of her listeners looked incredulous. I am, she said gleefully. I am at work on the arrangements now as hard as I can be. And Marion Wilbur, you needn't go to talking about note-paper and regrets. You are to come. I shall have to give up Yuri, and I am sorry, too. She would have helped along so much. But, of course, she cannot leave her mother. How is her mother? asked both girls at once. Oh, better. Nellis says the doctor feels very hopeful now. But, of course, Yuri doesn't leave her, and cannot for a long time. Nellis Mitchell is a splendid fellow. How strange it is that his interest in religious matters should have commenced with that letter which Yuri sent him from Chautauqua before she had much interest herself. Nobody supposed that he had, I am sure, Ruth said. I thought him the most indifferent of mortals. So did I, and would never have thought to pray for him at all if Yuri had not asked me to specially. Do you know he led the young people's meeting last evening? and splendidly, Grace Dennis said. By the way, isn't Grace Dennis lovely? Marion, don't you think she is the most interesting young lady in your room? I think you don't enlighten us much in regard to that party, Marion said, her cheeks growing red under that last question. I ought to be on my way. My tea will be colder than usual if I don't hasten. What scheme have you now, Flossie, and what do you want to do with it? ever so many things. You know my boys? Well, they are really young men, and anyone can see how they have improved. Some of them have real good homes, to be sure, but the most of them are friendless sort of boys. Now I want to get them acquainted, not with the frippery people who would have nothing to do with them, but with some of our real splendid boys and girls who will enjoy helping them. I'm going to have the nicest little party I ever had in my life, I mean to have some of the very best people there, then I shall have some of the silly ones, of course, partly because I can't help it, and partly because I want to show them what a nice time reasonable beings can have together if they choose. Nellis Mitchell is enlisted to help me in ever so many ways, and Mr. Roberts will do what he can, but you know he is a stranger. My great dependence is on you two. I want you to see to it that my boys don't feel lonely or out of place one single minute during the entire evening. 
but I am afraid I shall feel lonely and out of place, Marion said. You know I am never invited to parties. Flossy laughed. Wouldn't it be a strange sight to see you feeling out of place? She asked gaily. Marion, I can't conceive of a place to which you wouldn't do credit. Whereupon Marion arose and made a low curtsy. Thank you, she said in mock gravity. I never had a compliment before in my life. I shall certainly come. There is nothing like a little flattery to win people. Don't be nonsensical, pleaded Flossy. I am really in earnest. Ruth, I may depend upon you? I know you are not going to entertainments this winter, but mine is to be a small one compared with the others, and you know it will be unlike any that we have had at our house. Ruth hesitated. When is it to be? she asked, her cheeks glowing over her own thoughts. I shall be engaged on Friday evening of next week. It is to be on Wednesday. Then I will come, and if I play, Marion, will you sing to entertain the unusual guests? Of course, Marion said promptly. I never sang in company in my life, but do you suppose there is anything I will not do for Flossie's guests, after what she has just said? Only, Flossie, I shall have to wear my black cashmere. Wear your brown calico if you choose. You look royal in it, Flossie said, turning a beaming face on Marion. She had heard her sing. She knew what a rare musical treat it would be to those boys of hers. So this was Flossie's last departure from the beaten track. Those who are familiar with the imperative laws and lines which circumscribe the fashionable world will realize just how marked a departure it was. It was a remarkable party. The very highest and most sought after of the fashionable world were there, a few of them, and John Warden was there in his new business suit of gray, looking and feeling like a man. Flossie's boys were all present, and those who knew of them and their associations and advantages marveled much at their ease of manner and perfect propriety of behavior. How could they have learned so much? Flossie did not know herself, but the boys did. Her exquisite grace of manner, her perfect observance of all the rules and courtesies of polite society in her intercourse with them, had produced its legitimate fruit, had instinctively inclined them to be able to treat her with the same sort of grace which she freely and everywhere bestowed on them. Had she not met them on the street, in the very heart of Broadway, when she was walking with some of her fashionable friends? Had she not taken pains to recognize them with a specially cordial bow, and if near enough, with a deliberate speaking of their names, being sure to slightly emphasize the unusual prefix Mr.? These and a hundred other kindred trifles, so small that they are not noted among the qualifications for Sabbath school teachers, so powerful for good, that they often turn the current of a human life, had been carefully regarded by Flossie, and to-night she was triumphant over her success. She had not only helped her boys to be true to their convictions of right and dignity, not only to take on true manliness of decision in regard to the all-important question of personal religion, she had helped them to be gentlemen. There is many a faithful teacher to whom, thinking of these minor matters, it might be said, These ought ye to have done, and not to have left the other undone. From first to last, Flossie's party was a success. To Ruth and Marion it was a study, 
developing certain curious features which they never forgot. Marion had her own private bit of interest that not another present, save Gracie Dennis, knew about. She was not a party-goer. Even so small a gathering as this was new to her. She looked upon all these people with a keen interest. Many of them she was meeting for the first time. That is, she was being introduced to them and receiving their kindly greetings. For Flossie had succeeded in gathering only those who, whatever they might think of her choice of guests, were much too well-bred to exhibit other than pleasure while they were her guests. But only Marion knew that she was destined to meet these people again, and probably often, under different circumstances. The probability was that many of them would be her own guests, would receive and return her calls, would fall into the habit of consulting her in regard to this or that matter of church interest that would come up. Not one of them dreamed of such a thing, and when she tried to lead them into conversation on matters pertaining to the church interests, they looked their surprise that she would have such intelligent knowledge concerning these matters. Altogether, it was an evening full of private fun on her part. There was to be such a curious turnabout of position, she realized so fully that it would be such unutterable surprise to the people, that it was impossible not to feel amused, and to treasure up certain words and phrases that would sound very queerly to the speakers thereof, if they remembered them when those said changes became manifest to the eyes of the world. There was more than fun to be gotten out of the evening. She watched the young people with eager interest. She was to be a great deal to these young people. She must try to understand them, to win them. She wanted to be a help, a comfort, a guide. She had wonderful plans and aims. She blessed Flossie in her heart for this opportunity to study her lesson before it should be time to practice it. That same Flossie afforded her help in another direction. There was no hiding the hold that she had gotten, not only on these young men of her class, but those of their friends that they had brought within her influence. There was no disguising the fact that among the young ladies she was a favorite, one whom they liked to have among them, whom they liked to please. How had she done it all? I can never be a Flossie, Marion said to herself, an amused smile hovering around her lips meanwhile, at the thought that she should have a shadow of desire to become their little Flossie. But it is worth while to steal her secret of success, if I can, and practice it. Close watching revealed a good deal of the secret, as much of it at least as could be put into words. Evidently the little lady had the power of making other people's interests her own for the time being, of impressing the one with whom she came in contact with a sense of his own importance in her eyes. At least she was interested in what he said and did, and in what interested him. She could enter into the minute details of a matter which did not concern her in the least, with such apparent interest and desire to know all that was to be known about it, that one could hardly help the feeling that certainly the subject was worthy of attention. Then her face spoke for her. It could cloud in an instant in sympathy with any sort of trouble or anxiety, and sparkle with happy smiles in the very next second over some bit of brightness that was mentioned. She is a blessed little hypocrite, and that is the whole of it, was Marion's mental comment. That sort of hypocrisy is worth studying. 
it is as natural to flossy as that lovely pink on her cheek but i am afraid i should have to acquire it i don't feel interested in other people's affairs now that is a fact why should she in the first place i know it is natural for her to like to please people that is the beginning of it she has that advantage over me for she was always so and i always wasn't so but she has something else she did not care once to please such as those rough boys of hers at least they were rough when she started the refining process how she had worked for them i never realized it so much as to-night it is just this she has sanctified her power of pleasing and put it to a grand use in fishing for souls meantime i have some degree of power of that kind though it doesn't show in the same way but i am not sure i have thought of it with a view to using it for such work also i dare say one can cultivate an interest in other people if they try i mean to try i know one way in which i can please people i can sing whereupon she immediately sought ruth and proposed music herself going after rich johnson to come and sing tenor and bidding him bring a friend to sing bass then such music as they had that evening was certainly never heard at a party at mr shipley's house before the music-room was a little bower of a spot at the left of the parlors it was not only the music-room but the flower-room at least there were vines and plants and blooming flowers in the windows festooning the curtains hanging from lovely wire baskets a profusion everywhere thither went ruth marion and the two young men who went in silence from very astonishment over this new invitation in silence and embarrassment believing in their hearts that they could not sing at all as for marion she knew better she had stood near them in sunday school ruth swept the piano clear of all sheet music and substituted the bliss and sankey gospel hymns and marion passed a book to each naming a page and instantly her full grand voice joined ruth's music very faint were the tenor and bass accompaniments but as the first verse closed and they entered upon the second the melody had gotten possession of their hearts and they let out their voices without knowing it so that when the piece was ended marian turned with a bright face and said i haven't enjoyed a song so much in years what a splendid tenor you sing mr johnson to herself she said there i'm improving i honestly think that but twenty-four hours ago i should have kept it to myself it isn't hypocrisy after all it is sincerity another and another piece was tried the music-room meantime filling for flossy had brought in her train others of the boys and at last as the last verse of hold the fort rang out marian turned from the piano to discover that utmost silence prevailed in the rooms where chatter had been before and every available place in and about the music-room was filled with hushed listeners while those who could not get in sat or stood outside in silence and rapt attention such music as that at a party they had never heard before you and i are a success i think marian said brightly as she linked her hand in ruth's arm when they left the piano we are doing our duty beautifully are you complimenting yourself because you are afraid no one will perform that office ruth asked laughing no i am doing it because i have begun to be sincere i've made a discovery to-night 
Ruth, it is you and I who are hypocritical in refusing to say what we think about people when it would sound real nicely and would doubtless make them feel pleasanter and happier. Meantime, Ruth had her lesson also that she had been learning. What a trial parties had always been to her. How haughtily she had stood aloof, enduring with annoyed heart, and oftentimes with curling lip, silliness that she could not avoid, listening to conversations and joining in monosyllables when obliged to do so, that drove her to the very verge of patience, not once imagining that there was any help for her, any hope of stemming the current, or in any way changing the accepted course of things. She was learning. Several times during the evening it had been her fortune to stand near Evan Roberts and join in the conversation which he was carrying on. Each time she was amazed and thrilled to see with what consummate skill and tact he turned the current of thought towards the vital question of personal religion. Always with an easy familiarity of expression that made one feel and realize that to him it was a matter of course, and as natural to be talked about as the sunshine or the moonlight. Wondering over this peculiarity of his, once as they talked together she referred to it. I can conceive of parties being less of a trial to you than to many of us, because of the ability you have of turning the conversation to some account. He smiled brightly. They are not, he said. I have often looked forward to an evening gathering with eager interest and thankfulness, because of the opportunity for meeting some there whom I could not catch elsewhere, and saying a word for my master. But, Miss Erskine, you speak of ability. I simply use my tongue on that subject as on any other worthy of thought. But don't you think it requires a peculiar amount of tact to be able to bring in such subjects in a manner calculated to do any good? He shook his head. I should say, rather, it required a sincere heart and an earnest desire to interest a soul. We depend too much on tact and too little on God's spirit. Open thy mouth and I will fill it, is a promise that applies to more places than a prayer meeting, I think. What we need most to overcome is the idea that there is anything wicked in talking about religion in an everyday tone, as we talk about other topics of absorbing interest. There are different ways of going to parties, Ruth said to herself in a musing tone as she turned from him, and she wondered if she could ever get to feel that she might even go to a party occasionally, with the glory of God in view. This started a train of thought that made her turn suddenly back to Mr. Roberts with a question. That doctrine wouldn't lead you to be a constant frequenter of parties, would it? He shook his head. By no means, and there are parties, many of them, which, as a Christian man, I could not attend at all. We must guard against a temptation to do evil that good may come. End of chapter 27 Recording by Tricia G.